Welcome to the Color of Influence podcast, where you will hear conversations from influential people of color from around the world, from social media, and right here in your communities. These behind the scenes conversations will motivate you, inspire you, and encourage you. I am your host, Aisha Morgan, and let's meet today's guest. Today's guest is the multifaceted Kimberly Renee. She is a storyteller, a social activist, and the award-winning founder of the first completely plant-based national hunger relief effort called Food Love. If you head over to her YouTube channel, you'll see lots of different videos exposing what some wish would stay buried. I am enjoying everything that Kimberly posts, learning a lot from her page, and you will too. So without further ado, Let's get into my conversation with the amazing Kimberly Renee. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Color of Influence podcast. I am here with a very special guest, um, Kimberly Renee. I discovered her last year from a um, reposted video about um, Bob's Red Mill, which was a product at the time that I was using. And um, have been following her ever since. Um, a lot of your videos are extremely eye-opening um, to companies that we are all familiar with and have no idea what the backstory is. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into our conversation? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for the introduction. Um, I am excited to be here, Aisha. Um, and a little bit about me. So my story is multifaceted. I do a lot of different things. So to make it as simple as possible, I do basically three things. One, I am a content creator. So a lot of the stories that I tell focus on um, bringing to light the things that are important for us to know as consumers. Um, so that's one part of it. The other part is telling stories that are important for us to know as it relates to people of color um, and where things have come from, how we got here, et cetera. The other part of it is that I also have a passion for food. So I also create food content, which is kind of how I got into the Bob's Red Mill story to begin with. Uh, so I cook, I love eating like most people, but also I'm pretty good in the kitchen. Uh, so I do a little bit of that as well. And um, kind of recently I have been um, fortunate enough to be honored for some of the work that I've done in food insecurity. And so that's also a lane of, of who I am. So how did you, because you're also um, the first black woman to create a national hunger campaign, right? Um, yes, you, I am. So how did you get into that? Like, <laughs> I mean, you are extremely multifaceted. So that I'm very interested in. Yeah, so I'm a problem solver at the end of the day. So when I see a thing and I have an opportunity to help with it, then I'm going to try to make a difference. And so that's been my life since I was little. You know, the first time that I actually participated in a hunger relief program, I was probably maybe five or six years old, just kind of collecting cans at my church to give to people who were homeless. Yeah. And, you know, now fast forward, you know, some decades later uh, during the pandemic, there was so much on the news about how uh, people of color were being disproportionately impacted 
by COVID-19. This was like pre-vaccine, you know, pre, you know, the the various letters of COVID that we're on right now, you know, before it was a, a deadly disease for a good number of people. And the reason that it was so harmful um, in addition to us not having a cure or a vaccine for it was because once a person caught COVID, um, it would exacerbate existing health conditions. And right. a lot of those health conditions that um, were considered the, the comorbidity were conditions that were diet related and preventable. And when we look at historically uh, black communities, we look at our often lack of access to healthier options or rather affordable healthier options. Sometimes, you know, we have two and three jobs with, you know, one to two kids or three kids or whatever we have, or maybe it's a grandparent in the house, the uncle, you know, we have larger families perhaps that we're trying to take care of and feed the best that we can. And so we're not able to buy some of those, um, more expensive, and I say that in quotes, items that might be healthier or organic. And so as we, you know, look back into the foods that we ate while we were enslaved and that becoming soul food, there's so many elements to it. Like soul food is such a beautiful thing, but in excess, it can be harmful. So it's like um, all of that is going on at the same time. And I was overwhelmed. So you also have the whole then George Floyd entered and it was just like, I was like, Lord, what can I do? I just felt it it was a collective trauma that we were all experiencing, but also there was a real threat to our lives in addition to police. Right. Right. So I was like, okay, I can't stop police from harming us. I can't stop COVID, but maybe I can feed people. Maybe I can figure out a way to get something to their place that might introduce them to ways that they can prepare fresh food in a way maybe they haven't thought of before, you know? So that's kind of how that program started. And this is just, it was created because I'm coming from a background of understanding what it is to launch a startup company. And And by startup, I don't mean the way that a lot of people refer to startups. It's like, oh, I just started a business. I have a startup. I mean, like Silicon Valley, tech startup type thinking where it's like, how do we get the minimal viable product? How do we get fastest to market the best product so that we can present a proof of concept for investors? Mm -hmm. And so with that mindset, I was like, how can I invest the least amount of money to impact the greatest amount of people? Because the vision that I had when the idea came to me was feeding everybody. And in my mind, I'm looking at my bank account, like, this don't make no sense. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm going to take off my earring just in case it's it's popping your mic, the microphone a little bit. So I'm looking at my bank account. Like I have no idea how this is going to happen, but I still followed the vision, right? I still followed um, the inklings or the, the, the leading that I felt in my heart. And so in doing that, I was able to create something that essentially became the 911 of food. It's the idea that when your house is on fire, what do you do? You pick up the phone, you call 911 because you need fire department. Mm-hmm. You know, a burglar comes to your door, you pick up the phone, you call 911, right? There is a central place that you can go to to get the thing that you need when it's an emergency. But we don't have that for food. We right. have food banks that are that are located in a particular place within a city that often require that you have transportation to get there. It also requires that you have documentation a lot of times to prove that you are a resident. Mm. 
So these are things that have that for black, indigenous and other people of color, this could be a limitation right. for them. Exactly. You know, being able to say, okay, well, what if they don't have transportation? Because during that time of COVID, they're the buses weren't running in some cities. Right. So how are you going to get the food that is even free to you? But then on top of that, what kind of food are you getting? Because we're still in the middle of COVID. We're still talking about comorbidities. Mm-hmm. The hospitals aren't letting people in unless, you know, it's like, okay, unless you're dying for real, right. you might want to go back home. So if you have a heart condition and you need food and you're getting things that are laden with salt from the food bank, how is that helping you? Right, exactly. So it's like you're getting in one hand, you're like, oh, here, take this ramen noodle and canned soup. First of all, can we have some dignity around what we're eating? You know, so often we give people what's left over when it comes to food. Mm -hmm. Why is it that when you are in need, you get what's left over? Yeah. That's not okay. That's not okay. Like I think about this story of, um, there's a story in the Christian Bible about Jesus who had fish and bread and when he had that fish and bread, everyone was able to eat. No one, everyone was hungry. Everyone was able to eat and they had something left over. They didn't eat the leftovers. They ate the main thing. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that is missing from a lot of these um, food programs. In addition to not being able to get the food directly to the people who need it. Right. You have to come to them. They're not getting fresh items or they're getting leftover items that go bad in a day or two that end up just being thrown away. Yeah. And then the brands who gave it to them feel good because they were able to redistribute their waste. Like, look what we did. Put a big check mark mm-hmm. on their you know, brand profile for the day. But all you did was give it to a consumer so they could throw it away because the food went bad in the day. Right. So all of this is just messy. It was messy. I didn't like it. So I was like, how do we take advantage of the systems that exist already? There are already people delivering food. There are already mail mail carriers going to mailboxes. Mm -hmm. Can we just piggyback on what they're doing and use those carriers that are already in action and get food to people? Amazon was thriving, girl. Amazon was thriving. (laughs) So why can't we use those systems to help people as opposed to just giving people things that they want to buy, the latest dress, the latest technology? And so that's how Food Love was created. But it came out of a place of understanding that eating plant food, you know, for me as a lifestyle mm-hmm. is, a, um, is an act of resistance. Because for many of us, our love for farming was stolen from us when we were forced to farm. Yes. So returning back to the soil, back to the plants, back to things that are grown instead of things that are heavily processed, not to say that all processed things are bad. That's not what I am saying. I am talking about still us returning back to those things that are still fresh, that are still living. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what that's about for me. I know that was a long answer, but no, I felt like okay. I had to tell you. <laughs> no, that was a good answer. Um, so explain how it works though, because, um, you know, where are you located? Is there a certain area? Like how does, um, you know, love, Food love work. Yeah. So food love is an idea. It is a, it does not exist in a physical location. Okay. Just like um, 
So while you do have 911 operators, for example, that come into a room to accept phone calls, Mm -hmm. that could potentially be a look in the future, but everything is done electronically. Okay. So every bit of the work that I have done has been from this laptop. Got it. So there are no warehouses. There are no um, workers. In fact, there are some volunteers. But the program, what we do is we identify the people within the community who would know who is most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So that could be within the medical community. It could be within the foster care community, social workers. It could be so many different places, people who support those who often fall through the cracks, those groups. Okay. So connecting with them in multiple cities, multiple states and saying, when you have somebody who is in need, let us know, we'll send them food. And so that's a way for them to get something fresh, especially for the medical community. Um, we get, we've had a lot of uh, nutritionists referred, mm-hmm. um, refer families because they found that, um, our food supports the diets that they are putting, that they are requesting that their patients be on, like after a surgery. Yeah. So things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just so many ways that the sort of idea or the, the model of the program is set up. Like, it's not a program that I'm going to say it belongs to me. My hope, because I know how people love to do this. I want someone else to steal my idea. Like, please take it. Yeah. Use it to help the world. You know, people, I mean, we see so many, we see people all the time stealing dancers, you know, stealing ideas, stealing clothes, steal from me, that part, not anything else, steal from me, this idea, you know what I'm saying? Like, please take that and apply it because from day one, like you asked me at the beginning, this program was national from the beginning. It didn't start as a community outreach as a, let me talk to my neighbor. It was, how do we feed everybody anywhere right now? That needs it. Yeah. That's amazing. So how do you go from that to your YouTube channel? Right. So YouTube was not intentional. Um, I would love to say, you know, one day I'm a YouTuber. I make all this money on YouTube. I don't right now. Um, I just posted a video because I was frustrated. Mm -hmm. I was frustrated with Bob's Red Mill. Um, I was in the middle of finding partners for food love and I'd reach out to them and the volunteer and I that I was working with, her name is Kelly. Kelly and I got together and we said, you know, we've been pitching brands and the majority of them have said no to us. We've been trying to explain to them that people of color are being disproportionately impacted by COVID and we need to help them and you have an excess of food, help me get it to their hands. And they weren't paying attention. They were mostly ignoring me. Mm. So I said, Kelly, this is a unique opportunity because right now all these brands are trying to figure out how to participate in this movement of anti-racism. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so having spent some time supporting brands in that way in the past, I said, let me just pull that that hat out again Um, and offer to them advice. I'll give you a 30 minute consultation on how you as a brand can play an active role in anti-racism right now. I'll give you a free consultation. Mm -hmm. If you will just hear me out as it relates to food love. That's all I asked for. I was like, I just need you to hear what I got to say. Cause so many people weren't even listening. 
So we had that pitch with Bob's Red Mill mm-hmm. and they were like, yeah, yeah, let's talk. Right. We get to the email thread conversation. I'm like, hey, we said we were going to have a meeting. What's going on? Are you guys ready to chat? And next thing I know, they're saying, uh, no, we're not interested to, in talking to anybody about anything as it relates to, you know, anti-racism. And I was like, yeah, oh, OK. So then I put on my my detective sleuthing hat and I was like, let me find out who y'all really are. Yeah. So that's when I just and it wasn't even long because I was just I was upset, honestly, because I was like, the fact that you said that is disgusting. Yeah. So I went and not not to say that it it had to be them talking to me, but it was the fact that they didn't they said they didn't need to talk to anyone about anything. And I was like, so, okay, so you got it all, man. You got it all you together. Okay, let's find out. So I went and I started to find all this stuff about Bob's Red Mill. And it was only the beginning because the first video that I created was maybe 40% of what I found. I published it at 3 a.m. I didn't even know who was going to see it, to be honest with you. Yeah. By that afternoon, about noon Eastern time, I had an email from Bob's Red Mill like, "Mm, hello, hi, Uh, can we chat? Right. And I was like, about what? Like, I don't like, well, I think there was a misunderstanding. Oh, okay. Well, here's a screenshot. Tell me what I misunderstood about what you said. Right. And so, you know, people can go watch the rest of that video to see how it unfolded. But also in video two, we committed or the brand committed to sitting down and actually talking to me, but doing it publicly. Mm-hmm. So where, whereas before I was having these conversations in private with the brand, I said, right. no, let's talk about it now in public. So when we talked about certain things, we talked about how the fact that your entire thread on Instagram was white, unless it was a person who was in need. That's a problem. Right. And the direct, the VP of marketing was like, I didn't even notice. And I'm like, that's the problem. The fact that you did not see that, that is a message that you are sending. You put up these brown faces and it's like, feed me, I'm hungry. And then all these other white hands and pans and all that kind of stuff and smiling faces are the white people. And you can't forget the racist history of Oregon about how you got there in the first place. The reason that Oregon is so pale is because you all have black codes that said, if you're a black person after emancipation and you come in our town, we have the right to whip you until you leave. So y'all did not want anybody to come into your town. And you're trying to say, well, our, we, don't have, we don't have enough black people. That's why our, our town, that, no, you don't have enough black people because of the racist laws that were in your country. I mean, in your county, in your yeah. territory, rather. So when you talk about anti-racism, we have to talk about how do we address the historic wrongs, not just the wrongs that you're doing today. Today, we talk about your Instagram page, but historically, we need to talk about how we got here and how we fix it. What it means is put positioning yourself to fund Black people coming here to work if they choose to mm-hmm. because of those lashes that their ancestors took to kick them out. This is how we make an adjustment. We take funds and we put it in, we take our money and we put it into places where there are opportunities to support the people that we, that were harmed. Right. And now we are able to benefit from that or we're able to benefit from that harm. So that's what we talked about in video too, but we did that live. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, it, it goes to show that, you know, we are consumers of everything and they knew that that video was going to affect their company, their business. Um, So even though they may not have black workers, they know they have black customers. 
Mm-hmm. Because why else would you jump, you know, to right your wrong if we weren't your customer? Right. It, it wouldn't even matter. Right. And I honestly, that video is still the most reacted to video on my channel. Yeah. Like when I, t- because it still ranks. If you search Bob's Red Mill, it ranks, I think, in the first one or two pages that at that time it was ranked at number one or two, which is why they were concerned because yeah. it's like, oh, let's make these pillowy muffins. This is why I don't support Bob's Red Mill. It looks yeah. like right there. <laughs> so they were like, uh, how do we address this right here? So, you know, I'm sure they probably send a whole bunch of people to give thumbs down, but thumbs down is still an engagement. And I don't think right, they realize exactly. that. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the video is still getting a lot of traction. It is the it is the least favorited video, but it is also the most watched and engaged video still to this day. Mm. Good. <laughs> so from that video, how did you find out or research, start to research the other companies? that you found out stuff about? Yeah, so I started to look into other companies because I actually had such a positive result from Bob's Red Mill. And mm-hmm. in as much as I am talking, you know, still a little bit of smack to them today, they actually made internal changes, Yeah, which is significant. Yes. You know, um, it's significant to know that the result of a ranting YouTube video led to policy changes at a, you know, multi-million dollar organization. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, if that worked there, why couldn't it work somewhere else? And so um, I have been into internet research for a really long time. I actually cut my teeth in um, learning how to do advanced search queries while I was working at a company called um, Red Ventures. Mm -hmm. So even though I was already pretty good at search, I got really good at search um, shortly thereafter. So um, I really just... Sometimes somebody will send me something to say, hey, girl, look at this. Other times I will have an inclination just um, after a meditation or after a prayer to like, oh, go look at this. You know, it'll come from different places. Yeah. Um, but usually whichever source it comes from, it, it usually produces a result. Um, and so that's how my videos have um, developed, if you will. So out of the videos that you've done, what would you say, which one took you like the longest to research? Because there's like a lots of, lots of things happening in your captions where it's like update, update, like with the, you know, the hall of fame um, video. And um, what was the other one with the, the melanin company that their names. So Mm -hmm. how much time does this take you? Like, I would say that the video that took me the longest was the one about the hair care products. Okay. Um, It took me the longest and I'll I'll explain why. So when I, when I started researching for this video, I didn't know where I was going. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what I was looking for. Um, There's this thing that happens when I meditate. Um, I will often see different things. I will often um, have a sense to go in a particular direction. And this was one of those times where I had the sense to like, go look at this. Like there's a thread, go pull it. And I pulled that thread 
for this particular brand for about four months. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to get frustrated because I was like, listen, I have been looking. I don't see nothing. I don't know what y'all talking about. I don't see nothing. But I kept pulling. I kept pulling the thread, kept digging, kept digging. And at some point it was like, I got into this book. I don't even remember the name of the book, but the book was showing just the change of ownership and that kind of thing of the name. And I finally got down to the fact that this black hair care brand was formerly owned Mm -hmm. by a member of the KKK. And it's like, this don't make no sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm going to question everything that comes out of your brand now. Yeah. Like, I mean, when, how, like, do you know this man? Have you heard of him? Like, why don't you, why are we talking about this? Like what? It was so much. That took me several months to uncover. I think part of what I love about research is just telling such an in-depth story, just finding the different pieces that go together. But more recently, I have been, I was selected to be a part of uh, the We The Culture program with Facebook, Meta. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing with them my long form content. Here's a video, it's 11 minutes, this is six minutes, this is 12. And they were like, we love it, yay, you're gonna be making one minute videos and do the exact same thing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Because the research for me takes months. So this has been a journey for me, like a journey of just not having the same amount of time to dig into something because I don't like presenting information that I haven't checked and double checked and, you know, had multiple sources and, you know, let it breathe for a little bit, sleep on it, come back, edit it. I don't have that luxury anymore. It's like, what you going to say? What's the hooks? Write it now. Okay. Record it. I'm like, Lord, I'm rushing. I feel oof. So this is new for me. Mm -hmm. So these days, um, I have research that takes me a little bit of time. And then I have stories that I am that are kind of in the back burner that I kind of touch on every so often until I finish the story. So it's kind of two threads running at the same time, like the quick stories that I know I can get to that I know the research is readily available. And then the ones like the story of the hair care brand where I'm like having to dig because there's a thing that needs to be uncovered that has yet to be seen or talked about. And so there's literally a two at happening at the same time. And I found that that is kind of the best, but it still takes a really long time. It takes me um, multiple hours to find the information, put it together, double check sources, um, and then write it in a way that the audience is still able to say, yes, I get it and I can connect to it. Mm-hmm. And I understand what you're saying and you're giving me enough information so that I know that it's factual while also keeping it 59 seconds. So yeah. that's a lot. Look, even me that- talking right now, girl, you asked me one question. I talked for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I did notice like your Instagram videos are like a part one, a part two, but it's like quick information. Um, mm-hmm. That's different from, you know, how you used to post before. Um, Do you get more engagement from the shorter videos? Yeah, (laughs) I do, actually. You know, um, it's interesting because uh, comedian D.L. Hughley, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the original kings of comedy, he reposted one of my videos about the New York Times. It has like 100,000 views from, I'm like, why is that not on YouTube? Because can we? Because yeah. then I can make some money over there, you know. Right. <laughs> but you know, people like the short form. You know, they like to be able to to 
get what they want quickly and then get out versus people who are interested in sitting down. So what I've done is for those who really like the kind of in depth and they want to see like more of the research, I've moved that to Patreon actually. Okay. So I won't necessarily, at least not yet, be making additional videos on top of what I'm making on um, Instagram, but I will be adding all of the research so people can then go into it and read it themselves with the people who are like me and want to nerd out a little bit. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I mean, it's interesting to see like how your stories unfold. Um, And in my mind, I'm like, where did you even find that information? Like, especially the one with the Hall of Fame, like the Music Hall of Fame. I'm like, where did that, did somebody just tell you? Did you just look at somebody's name? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, so that story was actually a spinoff from the hair care. So okay. in the same book that talked about the different ways that the KKK was operating, mm-hmm. um, there was a story that I found. Um, I can't remember the woman's name. I think it might come to me in a minute, but she had been uh, researching. She had written an article called Hoods in, in My Hymnal mm. and talking about the KKK and the Christian church. Right. And we all know that KKK, they're, all KKK members are Christian. We know that. Yeah. So I said, well, are any of these extremists being honored anywhere? Yeah. You know, so I just start going through names. I'm like, let me see what you wrote. Are you over here? Like, let me see what you wrote. <laughs> like, literally, it's just like look, looking around. Line by line. You know, yeah. yeah, line by line. Who's doing what? Where you come from? What's your mama name? <laughs> did you own, did you own any? Did you own people? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, yeah. just look, just researching, seeing, because Oftentimes we don't have our own documentation. We don't have our own stories written, but we have their right. stories. So we use their stories to tell our story and how we participated in um, history making yeah. um, or were forgotten. So it's really just a matter of taking advantage of the stories that they have told and finding connections that weren't, haven't been, haven't been shared yet. Yeah. So <laughs> before we wrap up, um, I do want to ask you, Who is someone of color that has influenced you? Yeah. So it's interesting because um, I find so much inspiration from the people that I research. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Excuse me. I find so much inspiration from the people that I research, whether it's a George Washington Carver, who, despite all odds, was this incredible chemist who changed the world, right? I think that's incredible because in my mind, I don't necessarily have a mentor or somebody that I'm looking up to to say I want to be like them. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to make my way into a history book, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want to be this other person the or that other person. person. I want to be the best that I can be of myself. I want to change the world as much as I can. You know, we all have a short amount of time that we're here. And I have a passion for helping people, especially people of color. So when I have an opportunity to tell a story that might change the future for somebody else Mm -hmm. that might make their lives a little bit better. I can't tell you at least five or six of the people that I know black people after that Bob's Rub Mill video was published, they got paid to create content. And so because of that video, even though I got $0 for that video, it was able to fund at least five or six people that I know because they were like, we need to do, we need to expand our influencer marketing, um, uh Rolodex you know we it's very pale so where do we find other creators and other people who are in the kitchen and so I know that there was some money that changed hands and I'm thankful for that 
because that's that's equity to me. That's that's stepping up and being better. So when I look at who influences me, I find inspiration from my friends who do really cool things. I find inspiration from the randomest person on Instagram who, you know, something cool happens on Upworthy on yeah. Instagram at Upworthy. I'm like, look at that double tap, you know? <laughs> I'm like, that makes me so happy. Like I just get, I, I find that everywhere. But in many cases, I have blinders on. I'm not looking to the left or the right to what everybody else is doing. I'm trying my best to stay focused because look, looking at everybody else can get your heart a little, yeah. a little salty. You know what I mean? Cause the grass always looks greener somewhere else. So I'm not looking at nobody's grass as much as possible. I'm like, what is it that I can do? I can't be them. I can only be the best me. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I try to do as much as possible. And I think you're doing a great job. I mean, oh, thank you. This has been, you know, it's been fun to watch, you know, your page evolve and the stories come about um, through your Instagram and on YouTube. Um, and I'm really excited to see, you know, where you go from here. Um, I know you were nominated for a cooking award that I have reposted. Um, and you were a finalist right now. I, yep. I am a finalist yeah, and I will be so, presenting in a couple of days. Yeah. So that's awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank um, you. But, um, you know, my, the podcast is for this person purpose just to get names and faces and content out there that not everyone knows about. Um, you know, I follow lots of different people. And so I'll just start talking about somebody to one of my friends and they're like, who is that? And I'm like, wait, how do you not follow this page? Like you have to know who this is. And that's kind of why, I, you know, did the podcast this way because there are so many influential voices out there, um, but it's so muddled by everything that's on social media that I want to bring out the more influential, positive voices um, that are on social media. So I thank you awesome. for coming on. How can people find you after today? Yes, absolutely. So the easiest way is to start on my Instagram at it's Kimberly Renee, I-T-S Kimberly Renee. Um, I also, as I mentioned, have Patreon and YouTube that you talked about, but you can find everything if you start on my Instagram. You can also visit my website. I have two, one dedicated to the vegan things that I do, mightbevegan.co, and then one dedicated to all of the talking and the speaking and the, the changing the world stuff that I talked about. That's KimberlyRenee.com. Awesome. And is there anything that you want us to keep an eye out for that's coming up in the next couple of months? Yeah, for sure. So just as you mentioned, that award is happening. And so I'm going to have an opportunity to also speak at a global conference uh, coming up soon. Okay. So we're going to have some content that we're pushing out to talk about sustainability and climate change and all of that, because that's still a very big part of the things that I share. So I have some really cool things coming out about that. I'll also have a series where I'm going to be digging into my own life. I do so much digging into everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I am turning the magnifying glass on myself and I'm going to share a lot about my own history, where I come from, things that I discovered that I did not know. I was like, girl, what? Yeah. Okay. So all of that I'm going to be sharing as well. So that's a new series that's coming out. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Well, Kimberly, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me um, and give a little bit of background about some of your videos and your content. Like I said, I can't wait to see what's next for you. Um, you know, as a Instagram follower, I'm really proud of like all the things that are coming your way 
And thank you. I'm excited, thank you. you know, to see where you go from here. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed my song. This is amazing. Thank you. And that's a wrap on another amazing episode. I know that you were just as inspired as I was after listening to that conversation. And to let us know how we're doing, don't forget to leave us a review, like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow us on all social media platforms from YouTube to Facebook at The Color of Influence and on Instagram, the underscore color underscore of underscore influence. You can check out all of our episodes and additional content on our website, thecolorofinfluence.com. And that's an in only for influence. And don't forget to share the podcast with someone you know and have them share the podcast with someone they know. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, peace out.